0: What he calls promise theology as the heart and soul of the whole Old Testament. That's, that's pretty good. I, I think Joshua 15 could be viewed as promise geography and that kind of thinking. Promise geography. Reading through these passages is, is, is tedious. It's hard to deny that. Um, the allotment the chapters, they deal with the inheritance. Uh, well, this chapter 15 deals with the tribe, the inheritance of the tribe of Judah. And then Joseph's tribes, Ephraim and Manasseh. It traces the boundaries of Judah in 15, 1 through 12. It gives reports of Caleb's victories at Hebron and Debir in verses 13 through 20. And then it categorizes and lists the various towns belonging to Judah in verses 21 to 62. And then it gives this little note of their inability or failure in verse 63. And we'll come to that, of course, at the very end. I will read most of this chapter. I'm not going to attempt to read verses 20 to 62 word for word or attempt all those pronunciations, but these are more of those kind of verses that you read them and you think they don't really, you know, we talked about before, they don't stir up uh, warm fuzzies, you know, or devotional thoughts about God, but we have to remember Paul was not skipping over texts like these when he reminded us and told us that all Scripture is profitable in 2 Timothy 3.16. We don't You don't have to spice this up to make it valuable either. It's perfect as it stands. It's profitable for us as it is. Uh, Beloved, there are few things we need to be more sure of. Few words we need to be reminded of more often than the fact that our God keeps His promises. If you were to read the Bible with that lens on and say, how often is the Bible assuring me that God does what He says and keeps His promises it would be amazing to you. And in Israel's inheritance of Canaan, down to the lines and details of these towns and borders, we've seen a little bit of it, now we really get into it. Through chapter 17, God is proving that His promises mean real, tangible fulfillment. Not just something spiritual. That His people will taste and see. Let me pray. Our Father, we've gathered here this night because we trust that Your Word has the word of life for us. Father, we believe this. We confess this together. We believe that you've told us these things because you want us to know them. And so, Father, as we study them tonight, as I seek to proclaim what is here, Father, I pray that you would soften our hearts for this word from you. May it be of encouragement to us. May it give us hope. May it fix our eyes on a future that is fixed because of your sovereign grace and power. So, Lord, please help me to this end. I ask In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, and help us listen well. Amen. Read the first 12 verses here of Joshua 15. The allotment for the tribe of the people of Judah, according to their clans, reached southward to the boundary of Edom, to the wilderness of Zin at the farthest south. And their south boundary ran from the end of the Salt Sea, from the bay that faces southward. It goes out southward of the ascent of Akrabim, passes along to Zin, and goes up south of Kadesh Barnea, along by Hezron. Up to Adar, turns about to Karka, passes along to Asmon, goes out by the brook of Egypt, and comes to its end at the sea. This shall be your south boundary. And the east boundary is the Salt Sea to the mouth of the Jordan. And the boundary on the north side runs from the Bay of the Sea at the mouth of the Jordan. And the boundary goes up to Beth-Hogla and passes along north of beth Araba. And the boundary goes up to the stone of Bohan, the son of Reuben. And the boundary goes up to Debir from the Valley of Acorn, so northward turning toward Gilgal, which is opposite the ascent of Adamim, which is on the south side of the valley. And the boundary passes along to the waters of En-Shemesh and ends at En-Rogel. Then the boundary goes up by the Valley of the Son of Hinnom at the southern border of the Jebusite, that is, Jerusalem. And the boundary goes up to the top of the mountain that lies over against the Valley of Hinnom on the west at the northern end of the Valley of Rephaim. Then the boundary extends from the top of the mountain to the spring of the waters of Naphtoah, and from there to the cities of Mount Ephron. Then the boundary bends around to Baala, that is Kiriath-Jerim, and the boundary circles west of Baala to Mount Seir, passes along the northern shoulder of Mount Jerim, that is Chesalon, and goes down to Beth and passes along by Timnah. The boundary goes out to the shoulder of the hill north of Ekron, and the boundary bends around to Shekiron and passes along to Mount Baalah and goes out to Jabnil. Then the boundary comes to an end at the sea. And the west boundary was the great sea with its coastline. This is the boundary around the people of Judah according to their clan. So we all know exactly where this is. Exactly what he's talking about. So these are not just names. And I I hope you can see I'm not trying to put more into this than what's here. These are not just names. They are that. These are real places, real towns, real boundaries. No question. But what you're reading here, we've alluded to this before, Joshua 15 sprouts from the trees of Genesis 12 and Genesis 15. God gave Abraham the land promise all the way back in Genesis. He's reaffirmed it throughout Israel's history. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. It was picked up again in Joshua 1. Here, we're beginning to read its concrete fulfillment that God had actual places in mind when He promised them land. This chapter and those that follow describe in detail God's gift of the land, which means the name of every town and every border is filled with the excitement of promises kept. All right, it, it is less boring when we realize it's a close-up view of God's good gifts to His people. Think about it like this. Okay? This afternoon, after church, my family and I, and you and yours, most likely, had another Sunday lunch. No big deal, right? We do this every Sunday. Except the fact that every time we do that, it's the fulfillment yet again of Matthew 6.26. Every lunch, every dinner, every day, is God keeping his promise that you will have the food that you need. Every single time. You won't see that in Mexican food or in Prima Marina or if you've made something at home pot roast doesn't look like God's promises, because it's gross, but that's fine. That's, we can debate that another time, especially if you put potatoes and carrots with it. But that is God keeping His promise to you. I'm going to feed you. You don't need to worry about what you'll eat. Tuesday's trash pickup day in Glendale. Every week. But having garbage is a sign that God is providing for you every single day and every single week. Every day. okay? Every day. I wake up and my wife is there. I get to see her beautiful face, her beautiful hair, hear her laugh, because I'm hilarious. Every single day. Every day. We share conversations. We watch movies together. We watch TV shows. Those are all mundane things of everyday life that are not exciting in and of themselves. And yet, there is a fulfillment of God's covenant promise for me from Proverbs 19.14 every single day. Every single day. None of these are staggering details or stories, are they? But that's, that's the point. Just like the boundaries and towns of Judah. There are little pictures of fulfillment and of God's fidelity. That is hardly boring, right? Verse 13. According to the commandment of the Lord to Joshua, he gave to Caleb the son of Jephunneh a portion among the people of Judah. Carry out Arba, that is Hebron. Arba was the father of Anak. And Caleb drove out from there the three sons of Anak. Cheshai and Ahiman and Talmai, the descendants of Anak. That's the Anakin. Those are giants. Always remember that when you see it. And he went up from there against the inhabitants of Debir. Now the name of Debir formerly was Kiriath-Sephar. And Caleb said, whoever strikes Kiriath-Sephar and captures it, to him will I give Aksa, my daughter, as wife. Every time you read something like that in the Bible, I just think of the daughter going, okay, Dad, you know, just don't let him be ugly. <laughs> right? I mean, I, I guess it's funny. Maybe not. But, Caleb said, whoever strikes Kiriath Sephar and captures it to him, I will give Aksa, my daughter, as wife. And Othniel, the son of Kahaz, the brother of Caleb, Kanaz, the brother of Caleb, captured him. And he gave him Aksa, his daughter, as wife. When she came to him, she urged him to ask her father for a field. And she got off her donkey, and Caleb said to her, what do you want? She said to him, give me a blessing. Since you have given me the land of the Negev, give me also springs of water. And he gave her the upper springs and the lower springs. So woven in here in the middle of this detailed allotment is another story displaying what faith in God's promise looks like when it energizes the faithful. According to God's command, Caleb received his promise portion in verse 13. We already heard uh, about how much he believed God's promise back in 14, 6-14, but that passage didn't tell us how it went for Caleb when he finally did what he wanted to do, and that's attack Hebron. This passage fills in the details. He not only believed, but acted upon it, and God granted him victory and success. What he had to do was not an easy task at all either. This wasn't easy for him to do. Again, remember who the Anakim were and how they had terrified the Israelites in the past with good reason, and Caleb completely dispossesses them. How could he do that? By God's power. Nailed down Hebron for his own clan. This is my place for my people, for my people. Caleb says, I'll clear them out of there and make it ours. And the very fact that he offered his daughter Aksa in marriage to whoever took Debir lets us know how difficult it was going to be to take Debir. That's why he's offering such a great incentive. David would later offer great incentive like this for the one who would take the impregnable supposedly impregnable Jerusalem in 1 Chronicles 11, 5 through 6. I need men with me, right? And so what will be the prize if we do this? Caleb's nephew captured both Debir and his wife, Aksa. This was his cousin. These were different times. But again, Caleb's faith is described here in large part for the sake of Israel as a whole. God is saying in this, this is what I've given you the power to do. This is what you could be doing. This is what I want you to do. This is what my promise accomplishes. Have faith in me. I've given you this land. It's yours. If you move to take it, it'll remain yours. No matter who's standing in your way. This is the way the initial conquest of the land that we've been reading about should be followed up on all throughout Canaan. Just like what Caleb did. That's what they should be doing everywhere. And they could have done everywhere. No problem. Not that it would have been easy But God had already guaranteed them, promised them victory if they do it. Few things were more formidable. So even though God has promised this, it's still fearful. right? Few things were more formidable in combat than the descendants of giants like Shishai, Ariman, Talmai and their clans. After all, Anak was synonymous to them with the word invincible. But this is who the God who promises a secure inheritance enables one clan, that of Caleb, to obtain when they walk by faith in God's promise and not by sight. Now, verses 20 to 62, again, I'm not going to read those, but we need to remember how realistic God is being here to help us navigate lists like this, right? This is not merely for the sake of history. This is God doing something very specific. The writer is not a mere historian. That's not His purpose. You don't need inspiration for history right? from the Holy Spirit. That's that's not the purpose then of naming every border and every town. The point of lists like this is to proclaim the work and power of God to His people. The extent of it. God's Word is seldom going to be about an abstract spiritual truth that you can internalize. That's seldom what is happening in the passage. The point of passages like this is the realism. What's tangible there? Real faith in the real work of God, in real space and time, and real places for real people. The God of the Bible is concrete. His gifts are tangible and visible also. The inheritance He granted to Israel was not an idea. It was literal boundaries, literal towns, literal cities, as Dale Ralph Davis observes, it was real estate. It was genuine. And God has always been this way. After all, when God wanted to finally and fully reveal himself, what did he do? In John chapter 1 verse 1 and John 14, the word became flesh. Jesus came to us in real human flesh. Baby Jesus needed his diaper changed. He was a real baby. He would need taught how to walk and talk and all that goes along goes along with that for parents. He would learn and grow and his body would mature and ache and get hungry and tired. He would get bruised. He would get bloodied and beaten in a real body. He would get thirsty. He would need water. He would die. He would literally die. Stop breathing. Dead. And God would fill that bruised and bloodied body with resurrection life and bring Him out of the grave as He was, only also much different. The scars remain, but the new body was different and it was indestructible. As the author of Hebrews describes Him, very earthly, very literally, a living, actual, physical High Priest, Jesus would be for us forever. The body that he had when he was raised from the dead was the body he had before redeemed with resurrection life in it. And that's who he will be forever. That's our high priest forever. These are the things we have to remember who God is for us. Then we read in verse 63, But the Jebusites, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the people of Judah could not drive out. So the Jebusites dwell with the people of Judah at Jerusalem to this day. Now, this is a tragedy because, if you remember, at the beginning of the passage, this was listed in the part of the land or of their allotment. Jerusalem was theirs. God gave it to them. God knew when he gave it to them that the Jebusites were there. But look at what Caleb did. If you want it, take it. It's yours. And they didn't. Why could the people of Judah not drive out the Jebusites? Think about the implications of not being able to drive out the Jebusites in the minds of the people. Then that means that God gave them something. God doesn't have the power to deliver for them. right? That's what they would have been thinking the longer time went on while they're waiting for Jerusalem. Jerusalem isn't just going to fall into their hands. They could have, that's why you get Caleb in the middle of this. This is how it's done. I've given it to you. The means of how I'm going to deliver it, deliver it to you personally is by you taking the land. That's faith. Do you believe that I've given it to you or not? What would that look like? It would look like fighting to take it and dispossess the Jebusites. Were they not as strong as Caleb's clan? Do they not have the talent or the natural military ingenuity or resources? No. Why couldn't they take it? Because they didn't believe God's promise. They walked by sight, not by faith. Jerusalem was hard to conquer. It hadn't been conquered. It belonged to the Jebusites. And so, yes, they knew what God had promised them, but how are we going to do that? And then they delay and they delay and they delay, and eventually it's just like, well, let's just, we can, we don't have to have all of it. They can keep Jerusalem that way. We don't have to. It's always easier to do that. It's always easier to do that than it is to have faith. It's always easier to walk by sight. And that's what they did. And, beloved, they lost everything. They lost everything. They lost the land in its entirety. The funny thing about the end of Joshua, when you have that great, you know, choose this day whom you will serve. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You have to look around that passage and see what's being said there. Joshua was saying, the people are like, no, we'll we'll do it. And Joshua was like, no, you won't. You'll lose the land. You're going to lose the land. Right? You, you won't keep your word. You won't do what God has told you to do. It's very sad. But it would do us Western Christians well to remember the earthiness of our God. See, enjoying the kingdom of God and receiving the fulfillment of His promise doesn't mean that one day we'll float around in this mercurial existence as like a blinking soul in some spiritual afterlife. No, 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 no. No, we we will walk around on legs in a new heavens and a new earth with a real resurrection body which is exactly what Jesus had. Isaiah 65, Isaiah 66, Revelation 21, Revelation 22. When the Bible calls Jesus the firstborn of the new creation, look at him in the Gospels after he rose from the dead. That's what it looks like. So they knew that he still had the scars on his body. Right? He, he, it was the same body, resurrected, redeemed. Not that Jesus needed to redeem from sin, but redeemed from death. Israel's concrete and tangible inheritance in Canaan. This is a foreshadowing of our own. That's why this is profitable for us to read in 2023 and 2024 and always has been and always will be. Because this is a foreshadowing of the fact that we will get this level of detail of reality, physical reality in the new heavens and the new earth. The difference is that it's already paid for. It's already been overtaken. It already belongs to us. It's simply granted to us by grace through faith. We have all of it. It's ours. The Spirit has sealed us for it. Nothing that happens to you in this life can take that from you. Our full possession of the new heavens and the new earth will be physical and tangible. We'll be in a place where we'll be able to touch and feel and talk and sing if we want to and live our lives we'll be able to put our hands in the wounds of Jesus because he's going to have those scars for all eternity as our high priest we will feel the physical wounds that bought our eternal redemption our hands will do what thomas's hands did so reclaim the reality of the promise made to you we will not be in some earthless fleshless void Forever and ever. People don't become angels when they die. I don't know why we, we. That's a Catholic doctrine. Why do we think that? Heaven gained another angel. Heaven doesn't need another angel. They, they have plenty. What, what we have is much better than becoming an angel. We get what they long to look into and wish they understood. Our full biblical expectation. What can we expect? biblically what do we have to look forward to biblically the main thing for us is not dying and going to heaven that would be amazing it's not the best thing and that's what happens to those who have faith in christ who die before his return absolutely and we wouldn't want to trade it for anything here let's make that clear but that's not really the goal that's not the end of the story The New Testament language is overwhelmingly clear. Overwhelmingly clear that when believers die, their souls are with the Lord. 2 Corinthians 5.8, Philippians 1.23, 23.43, it's crystal clear. But the New Testament also lifts our eyes and fixes our minds on the fullness of the promise to us. The fullness of our hope. The redemption of our bodies. On resurrection day at the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. Romans eight twenty-three, Philippians 3, 20 and 21, 1st Thessalonians four sixteen and 17, 1st Corinthians 15. Now, I was, I'm thinking about this all my life as a pastor without ever really putting much thought into it. I've, I've made the critical error of saying as, as we would stand over a casket at a funeral, I've said, you know, this is not the real so-and-so. This isn't them. But I'm I'm wrong in that. I've been wrong in that. It is them. right? When, When you stand at the grave of a mother, you came from that body. That is her body. God is not going to discard that body. Even if it decays into the dust. God is going to resurrect that body. Bring that body that's in that casket on that day. Bring that body, as it is, out of the grave. Redeem it and remake it forever and ever. He will resurrect these bodies in full redemption to a physical new creation. We like to think and joke that when we get a new body, it will be this you know, will be better looking or, or thinner or whatever it is. I don't know if that's the case. But I know that when these bodies are resurrected, what they become will be perfect. Cannot, will not ever decay. But we we, we wonder for some reason, will we know each other there? Beloved, of course you'll know each other there. If your mom or dad or husband or wife or child or whatever it is, your grandparents, whatever it is, have gone on before you in the faith, do not worry. If you die before the Lord returns, your soul will be where their soul is, in heaven with the Father. And if you are caught up with Him when He comes and transformed in the air, either way, when Jesus is done judging and brings heaven down to earth, we'll know each other just fine. You'll know exactly who that is. You'll know exactly who that is. And they'll know exactly who you are. It's one of the most beautiful things to think about. How concrete eternity is. We will be united forever with a perfectly redeemed and righteous soul in these bodies. Also redeemed and perfectly righteous that will never decay and never die are indestructible to sickness and pain and sorrow and age. And we will live forever in the presence of the Lord who is our light. When you read city after city and town after town and border after border, just remember what God is doing. What I promise to give you is real and literal and tangible, and you will take hold of it. Don't lose sight of the real, tangible fulfillment of God's promise that you will experience with redeemed but very real physical eyes for all eternity. Every time you read one of these lists, you remember how careful God is to take care of all the details of your complete, eternal joy. He won't fall short of anything. These promises are yours, beloved because of what Christ has done for you.